We've been talking about the elephant in the family room. We talk about issues that a lot of times we don't talk about that affect our relationships, affect our families, and maybe more than any other issue that affects our family is the issue of forgiveness that we're going to talk about today. Because of the lack of forgiveness, or people really not knowing how to negotiate through restoring relationships, because of that, marriages are, are choked out, friendships are broken, churches are split, all because they don't know how to navigate through this, this one area called forgiveness. So as we dive into this, I would like you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. That's going to be our, our primary text today. This topic is crucial, and we're going to find that everyone needs forgiveness at some point in their life. When we're in relationships, we will always come to times when we need forgiveness. Everyone does. And then everyone needs to know how to give forgiveness. And not having the ability to forgive, Jesus says, is deadly. It's worse than deadly. We'll get back to that later. So I, I want to just break this into three small bite-sized chunks. Some of you are like, how small? Kevin? Yeah, three small bite-sized chunks, and it goes like this. Why we need forgiveness. That's the first thing. Why do we need forgiveness? Then the cost of forgiveness, and then the implications. Actually, there are two. Implications of forgiveness. So the why of forgiveness, I think we, most of us pretty much get that. I mean, it's not hard to figure out. Healthy relationships cannot happen without forgiveness because forgiveness reconnects relationships, reconciles relationships, fixes relationships, and it's essential. We got to have it. And the reason is because when we interact with other people, we offend them. We create debts that we owe people. We do this because we're imperfect and we're rubbing shoulders with other imperfect people. And so when we're in relationship with anybody, there will be times where we will offend them and we might know it or, or probably we won't even know it. And that we have to have a way of resolving that. How many of you, about the time that you started driving, had a dad that said, don't forget to check the oil? Sounds like a lot, right? We've all heard that. I remember, same with my dad. You know, it started about 15 years old. Don't forget. Always check. Actually, he required that I would know the oil level in whatever car I was driving, either my car or if I was driving one of his cars. He required that I would know the oil level, and he would ask, and and I and and not knowing the answer was unacceptable. You didn't, you know. So you answered, and sometimes we went out to check of whether I was right or not, and if I was wrong, that was an issue for him. Why? Because because it's so important. I mean, that's why vehicles have oil lights. And oil gauges, which my dad always told me never to trust, right? You know, so we have those. It kind of reminds me of a story, but it's about a staff member. You probably don't want to hear it. But, or maybe you do. So actually, this, 
This is about Luke Weishart. Well, actually, it's about Luke's wife, and I haven't been able to talk to Luke's wife. I don't think she's here. A lot of times they sit over here. She's gone, so this is perfect. Um, when Luke and Rachel first got married, she sings up here sometimes, Stark here, usually on this side. Anyway, Luke and Rachel, and if she's really ticked next time she's up here singing, you'll know why. But Luke and Rachel were, when they first got married, Rachel had a picture of Luke on the dashboard. Anybody ever do that? Well, she had a picture of Luke kind of taped to her dashboard, but it was right on top of the oil light. And so after a while, when she's driving, you know, all she, she never saw the oil light. She just saw Luke's picture. And once in a while, she saw that, that Luke had kind of a faint red glow to him. She just thought that was the aura of Luke because she was so in love with Luke. She didn't think anything about that. But then what happened was eventually her car dies. Engine seized up. No oil. And uh, that was a, a car that she came into the marriage with. So I think her dad either helped her or got that car for her. So I don't know how that conversation went with her dad. Uh, hey, dad, you know, because I bet he told her the same thing. But forgiveness is like the oil in an engine. We need it because the engine, hey, there's part moving parts cause friction. And that friction generates heat. Got to have oil to make all that work. Same thing in a marriage, we've got to have forgiveness because of the new moving parts in the relationship to keep on functioning. Otherwise, a relationship will fail just like an engine will. We're all flawed and we create this friction. Forgiveness reduces that friction in our families, in our churches, and most of all, because here's where we come into contact with people the most, in our marriages. Here's what Jesus had to say about this whole issue. In Matthew 18, this is not my main text, but it sets up the text that I want to talk about. It's Matthew 18, beginning of verse 15. He says this, Jesus says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So in this, forgiveness is so important that Jesus gives a system. He gives us a system for forgiveness, for reconciling relationships, primarily in the church family, but it works everywhere. And, and it starts with this, and it's not listed here, but by the time we get through this, you'll understand this is where it starts. It starts with preparing your heart. It starts with preparing your heart and making sure that you have a willingness to forgive. Then the next step is that you go to the person in private. And then you share, you know, hey, this has offended me or here is my concern or whatever. And you have that private conversation. The next step is you need to evaluate what is said in that conversation. Because it might be that you've been offended by something, but when you hear the whole story, it's not so offensive. So you need to consider what was said during all this. But then if at the end of that conversation there's still friction... They don't think they've done anything wrong. You do, whatever the case may be. Then you involve others to help. So it's prepare your heart. Go to them in private. Consider that exchange. Consider what what they say. Think about that. Pray about that. 
then maybe involve others. And if that doesn't work, you involve the church or the church leadership. So that's kind of the steps that God gives to resolve issues that come up, friction that comes up in the church family because it comes up in relationships. So that's how we do it. That's the how to. Now, for full effect of forgiveness to happen, and by full effect, I mean for the relationship to be restored, one person has to admit that they have done something that's offended the other person. So you got to have that. Without that, then either one per- the other person says, oh, I shouldn't have been offended, everything's okay, or the relationship does not get fixed. But here's the deal. Jesus taught that when we offend somebody and we know it, we should go to them and make it right, ask for forgiveness. But typically, we don't know or we don't feel the weight of our offense to other people like they do. And so if you've been offended, and here's the problem with 90% of situations like this. When you've been offended, it's not an option to just sit back and be offended. People get offended and they're like, well, why should I have... I?" This person did this to me. It was wrong. They have wronged me. And I'm waiting for them to give me an apology. They owe me an apology, right? But they may not even know. Jesus does not give us the option that we just sit and stew and resent and become bitter and wait for them to respond. We have to take the initiative. So if you're offended by something... You have to take the initiative to restore the relationship, even if it wasn't your fault, because that's that's the way you're thinking. It's not my fault. I know. But Jesus is calling you to take the initiative to restore the relationship. You start the process. It's your responsibility to act. You go to them. You point out the offense. And if they own it, then they'll ask for forgiveness. You can give it to them. The relationship is restored. And so the question comes up, well, Well, what if they don't own it? What if they disagree? Well, if they don't own it and you're still offended after talking to them, then you still don't give up on the relationship. Then you seek out the help from others. You consider what they said, why they don't think that that should have been an offense or whatever, and then you get help in order to restore the relationship because the relationship's important. You don't give up on it even then. And then other people say, well, what if it's the other way, Kevin? What if, you know, I point out that something is offensive, the person acknowledges it, they ask for forgiveness, I forgive them, but then it happens again. And I point it out and they ask for forgiveness, I forgive them, and then it happens again and again and again. And then it just feels like a joke. I mean, it just feels like this person doesn't care. And then what's the use so I stop going to the other person, and, and you know, it's, it's just not working. I don't think they're sincere, and so I shut down, and then the relationship suffers. And resentment grows, and bitterness comes in. It becomes like an open sore festering in your relationship or in your marriage. And that's how mar- mar- marriages get choked out that way. Sometimes that ongoing thing happens because one person, through their being offended, wants to just control the other person. Oh, I'm offended, so you can't do that anymore. Oh, I'm offended, I'm offended, I'm offended. 
So some people will be offended all the time, and they're just using that by means of control. Well, the other person will say, sorry, 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 but I'm not going to let you control my life. So you got to work through that is what Scripture's saying. But, but if you're wondering, well, if this just keeps happening, so then what? Then what I do? And if you're wondering that, that's exactly what Peter was wondering when Jesus said this originally. And so he was there, and so he asked. Verse 21. Then Peter came to him, being Jesus. Then Peter came to, and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Man, over and over and sometimes? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 490. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And now Jesus starts telling a story to illustrate what he just said, because it's kind of tough. Peter's saying, okay, so somebody keeps doing this. They, they offend me. I go to them. I forgive them. But then they do it again and again. I mean, how, this is ridiculous. How many times? He says maybe seven, which is beyond what the rabbis or anybody else would say. He kind of adds some more and says, well, this is pretty good. And probably the other disciples are going, oh, boy. And, you know, he's throwing it all out there. And the, Jesus says, no, seven times 70, 490, or some, uh, some translations will say 77 times. It's because this word in the Greek is very hard to, to translate, so it could be either way. But the point is not the number. It's not like 76, 77, boom, now I'm lowering the boom. 148, 149, 189, 190, boom. You know, it's not like that. Jesus is saying, hey, forgive. So that's why he has to tell the story to make this pop. And so for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, verse 23, then 24. When he had begun to settle them, the one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before the king, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And and that story really brings up something that we often forget, and that's my second point, the cost of forgiveness. There is always a cost associated with forgiveness. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this story. This this sum that's mentioned here, 10,000 talents, it's an astronomical sum. And the only way you can compare these monetary amounts is to put them in our day. In the first century, a laborer, Earning full day's wages, it would take him 150,000 years to repay 10,000 talents. 150,000 years of labor is what 10, 
or 150,000 people laboring for one year is what it would take to repay 10,000 talents. And so, and we find out that the word slave here is also translated servant sometimes. And this word was also translated used of a king's officials who were in service to a king. And that's obviously the meaning here because nobody could rack up that kind of debt. So this guy has mismanaged the kingdom's affairs so badly that he has lost the, for the kingdom or the king a national debt size amount of money that there's no way he can repay. But he asks for mercy. And then the king shows compassion and gives him mercy. And then at that part of the story, we just kind of think that the debt goes away. The debt doesn't actually go away. It goes away that the person doesn't owe it anymore. But the debt doesn't disappear. It is paid for by the king. The king absorbs the loss. After the king does this, he's 10,000 talents poorer than he was before this interaction. Now, he could have sold the man, his wife, the kids. Maybe that would have brought one talent. The king forgives him. But it's the king that paid the price. It's the king that paid the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness is free to the forgiven, but it costs the forgiver. It always costs. Well, hold it, Kevin. That's not fair. You're telling me that somebody wrongs me and offends me and I pay. Right. Forgiveness is never fair. If it's fair, it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is never fair. Forgiveness is releasing, letting go a debt that somebody actually owes you. It could be a monetary debt, but more often it's a debt to your reputation, a, a debt that, you, that you, they have violated your trust or something like that. It always costs. It's never fair. It's never free. It's absorbed. That's how we forgive. It always costs something. And we have to give up something that we're owed. That's why we use the terminology, you owe me an apology. We understand in us that something is owed. And by the way, if they don't owe you something, then they don't, they don't need to get forgiveness from you. That's not a, a forgiving thing. I remember years ago, I was in Novosibirsk, Siberia, and I was in a rented house. This is a huge town, biggest, third biggest town in, in Russia at the time, and biggest town in, in Siberia. Not a nice place, but anyway, I was there, and I was just, through the process of just being there for a few days, I was taking my shirt off in a bedroom, and the ceilings weren't quite as high as I was used to, and my arm hit uh, the, the light fixture above me and knocked the glass part of that off and it hit the ground and broke and my host I could tell my they didn't have much and so you know and they my host just was super gracious my host forgave me don't worry about it but I knew this wasn't gonna this one of those things that would not be replaced because I knew they couldn't replace a toilet seat they just sat on the rim for the last 10 years because they didn't have money to do it nor could even find one but anyway so it bummed me out 
Because I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's no big deal for us, but that's a bigger deal here. And it's just, have you, ever, have you ever done something like that and you can't figure out how to fix it? So I very much appreciated their forgiveness, but I also knew, wow, that's a debt I don't want them to have to absorb. Turned out, just by the providence of God, somehow I was able to cross a city of a million people, never run into one person who knew English, go by myself, find a store that specialized in lighting, and buy this one glass piece that perfectly matched the one I had broken. I mean, just a God thing. But I was forgiven, but I still wanted to make restitution. Something similar happened, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we were in Dallas, the whole 15 men from our staff, did you catch that? Anybody? Well, something happened there, but you don't want to hear staff stories, but what, what happened was, uh, well, I won't mention the guy's name, you know, but um, one night, so we're in a rented room, we're sharing a, a house, and there's only two bathrooms, there's 15 of us, two bathrooms, and so you got to get started early. And then one night, and again, protected, well, his name's Cole. But anyway, he was going through the, he was walking through the house in the dark, and one bathroom was in the main hallway, and the other bathroom was off, off the master bedroom. Tim made the arrangement, so he was sleeping in the master bedroom, and, uh, and Luke was in there sharing that room with him. And so Cole is tip, kind of tiptoeing through the bedroom to make it to this bathroom to, to be able to use the facilities. And he knocks over a lamp, because it was kind of tight quarters, Lamp fills over and breaks. And so we call the guy, and the guy says, yeah, okay, but he taxed it on our bill. So we re receive forgiveness for the inconvenience of him having to do it, but the guy charges us, which that's fine. You know, we, we want to, to pay. But he didn't really forgive us the price of the shade. He forgave us the inconvenience of him having to do it, and we paid for the shade. There's always a cost to forgiveness. Whether he, we made restitution with the shade or not, the guy's offering forgiveness. Yeah, it, we are costing him something. God is our greatest example in learning how to forgive. Because God has absorbed the debt of all of our sin. Not only our sin against other people, but our sin that we don't even scratch the surface of, of our sin against God. And he absorbs this debt at infinite cost. What did it take for God to be able to forgive us of our debt without violating his own character, his own justice? It took the death of God, the death of Jesus Christ, infinite God, on the cross to pay for our sin. And then that brings us to the third point, which is the two implications of forgiveness. You see, the implication is that if we're a Christian, if you are a Christian, if I'm a Christian, then we've received forgiveness. And in order for God to give that to us, he had to pay an infinite cost for us to make it possible for us to receive forgiveness. And if that's true, 
for you, which is true for all believers, then the first implication is we must, we must be willing to forgive others. We must be willing to forgive. It's not an option, and we're going to see that in just a moment because we haven't finished the story yet, right? So let's pick the story up. So here's the king. The guy owes him a tremendous amount of money. No way can the guy pay it back, although he offers to. He's trying to get out of it. The king forgives him. He goes away scot-free. The king has paid his debt. He owes nothing to the king. Verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. hundred denarii, it's a, it's a debt. I mean, it's several months' pay, half a year. Who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him. Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed, which is not a great strategy, but he tosses him in jail. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then the king takes action. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger. Remember, it was compassion. Moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Last verse, not what we typically cross-stitch and stick on the wall. You know, this is Jesus talking. He was, and the king in the story hands this first slave over to the torturers. Not just jail, not just sold into slavery. Now he's being tortured until he could repay, which is not going to happen. Sounds harsh. And it is a harsh ending to the story because it's critical we understand Jesus is making this point in a harsh way. Because this is critical truth we need to understand. The king forgives his servant, but the servant does not become a forgiving person. And when the king finds out the servant's in trouble, he's thrown into jail. Not only that, he's tortured. And then Jesus answers with the last verse, and it's even tougher. Story is over, and here's what Jesus says. Verse 35, my father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive others from your heart. And we're going, whoa. And then maybe we're going, whoa, 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 time out. This is Jesus saying something that seems to conflict with the rest of the New Testament. That that if we don't do some good thing we're supposed to do, like forgiving others, that we're going to go to hell for that. When When the rest of the New Testament is telling us, no, we don't go to hell for things that we do. We deserve hell. But if we're believers, we go to heaven because based on what Christ has done, not what we do. So so what's going on here? What is Jesus saying? We need to get this. And Jesus is making his point loud 
and clear. Yes, salvation is based on what Jesus has done. But Jesus is saying, if we don't open our hearts to forgive others, it shows that we haven't really received the forgiveness of God. Huge. He cannot state this any stronger. An unforgiving heart leads to eternal punishment because it reveals the fact that we've never really received forgiveness from God. Now, let me talk about this for just a moment. There are, we, there are a lot of people who are comfortable being Christians. They like the lifestyle. They like their friends. They don't mind the church thing. And so they come and they hang out and they call themselves Christians. But because they've never really understood the weight of their own sin, because they never really thought they were that bad. Yeah, I'm not perfect. Because they never really felt the weight of their own sin, they basically pretend that they're sinners that Jesus had to die for, and therefore they pretend to get the forgiveness that God offers. But if you are really, truly a believer, you understand the weight of your sin and the infinite cost that Jesus had to pay in order for us to be able to be forgiven. And once we've received that gracious forgiveness, it makes it impossible for us to withhold forgiveness from other sinners just like us. It's kind of like, Two fruit trees planted at the same time. Two apple trees in your backyard growing side by side. And it's October and one's full of apples and one isn't. One just there. And we say, well, this, this tree, it's living, it's healthy. This tree is dying, has no fruit. But it, it's not the apples that give the tree life. The apples show that there's life in the tree. The apples show that the tree's living. They don't give the tree life. It's the same thing here. Forgiveness, forgiving other people, does not, that doesn't make us believers. But if we're believers, we will have a forgiving spirit toward other people. And when we are asked for forgiveness, we will give it. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's using the strongest words possible to convey this truth he's saying there's no better way of knowing whether you have a real relationship with God than whether or not you forgive other people wow in this context when they ask for it wow that's sobering But God's forgiven you an infinite debt. And your king who forgave you all that debt is telling you, not like the guy in the story, you're told, you're commanded, forgive others. Not an option, have to do it. But, but Kevin, you don't understand what's going on in my marriage. You don't understand how much water under the bridge has happened. It's broken. I mean, we're so sideways. It's so messed up. Where do you even start? Uh, yeah, that's all, the forgiveness and trying to get forgiven. That, that's years ago. We're way beyond that, and it's just a wreck. Well, first, you need to understand forgiveness 
is not forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget. Forgiveness means that you never remember it in order to use it against the other person. Forgiveness is never holding it against them anymore. It's not amnesia. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's never holding it against them ever again. Forgiveness is not restoring trust. When you forgive somebody, that doesn't mean you trust them tomorrow. Forgiveness can happen on the short term. Forgiveness can happen in hours or days. Trust is built over time with accountability. So you forgive somebody, you don't have the exact same trust level if it's a trust issue that's been violated. You forgive them, you don't hold it against them, but it takes time for that trust level to be restored. Or you're just faking it. And the way the trust level gets restored is accountability over time. So, and forgiveness and being offended should never be used as a way for controlling somebody else. Just because you don't like something they do that may not even be a real moral issue, but you want it to, well, that offends me. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And forgiveness always starts with a forgiving spirit. We can go and, and say, hey, you've offended me, and this and this, and the other person say, well, I disagree, and, and your relationship may still be broken. And then you should involve help. Don't give up. Involve some help to make that happen. But forgiveness always starts with a willing spirit. You have to have a willing spirit before you even go talk to them. You have to have a forgiving spirit before you even go. You have to be willing to forgive before you even take the first step. The willingness of forgiveness has to always be there. And even if the person will not admit their sin, we still must have a forgiving attitude. We still retain the willingness to forgive. If the, and if they change their mind, your relationship is restored. Jesus, he, to me, talked about that in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, where he said this. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who's in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. That's what he's saying. If you're not a believer, most important takeaway, God is extending forgiveness to you for things you don't even realize you've done against God. But that doesn't mean they didn't happen. That doesn't mean it's not an offense. You violated his standard like we all have. And you deserve punishment like we all do. And God is willing to absorb that through Christ But you have to come, you have to ask. And for those of you who are believers, who is it that you haven't forgiven? What bitterness, anger, resentment are you holding on to and maybe don't have a a willingness to forgive? Who, Who is that? in your life because you need to identify that because that is not optional for a Christian to not have a forgiving spirit so a believer here we need to ask God for help we need to to confess it to God to come to God 
if we have anything like that in our hearts, and then ask him for help on taking that first step to, re, to resolve it. Because God's saying, no matter which side you're on, the ball is in your court. You have to do it. Caleb's gonna, I'm going to close in prayer. Caleb's going to come and lead us in an ending song. Let's stand together. But the invitation's open. If you'd like to come and pray down here and, and just return to your seat. If you'd like to talk to somebody, room one will be open after the song and the service is over. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much that at great, great cost, you have offered us forgiveness that we do not deserve. It is not fair. You forgive when we deserve rightly punishment. And God, we thank you. That's the Christian faith. And God, we realize we have no right to hold on to things against others. We have to have a forgiving spirit. If, if it's a, a broken relationship, if it's something we're hanging on to against another person, we have to go to them. And if we suspect that we've offended them, but they haven't come to us, we have to go to them and ask for forgiveness. And God, we pray that your spirit this morning would help us to identify those relationships in our lives. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's just been a slow burn for 15 years. Let's not settle for that. You don't want us to. Let's make a change. It starts with confessing to you. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.